sorted. Good, good. Pretty good, yeah. Pretty good. Um, thank you for volunteering yourself for episode 212, Dagan. Uh, back in the house. It was like you've been a busy boy since we last had you on this show. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you've been up to for the last like six months? I feel like you're about everywhere, aren't you? Well, I mean, you guys got it all started. Uh, little did you know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's the, the beard or the fact that I'm, you know, just a dumb American that doesn't know what's going on or what. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I've since I realized this is my ninth appearance of some kind, either podcast or TV. Um, I did ESPN Fan Zone four times, um, and then I've done three Albion Obsessed podcasts. I'm obviously, you know, sort of with them on an ongoing basis at this point, which is a lot of fun. Those guys are great. Our guys and gals are great. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, but uh, this is where it started, right? So now I'm I'm back to my point of origin um, with with you, Josh, and, and maybe not with maybe not with you, Craig. Um, no, it's first time. I was yeah. filling in for you. Yeah, yeah, you were. Yeah, yeah, I was I was I was being a reprobate off somewhere. So uh, thank you for filling in the first time. Which is even funnier because now you're filling in for Adam, uh, who is sick as a dog today. Uh, that's why we're, we're recording on a Monday. We tried. We tried to give him time, uh, but he's just he's just not able to get it done. Um, James, uh, L Dude Brothers, hello, hello, hello. Hope you're well. I uh, hope you're both enjoying your bank holiday. Um, I know I am. Um, yeah, so we are going to be discussing today Forest and Wolves together. Um, I suspect we'll be talking about Wolves a lot more than Forest, uh, given the Ooh. circumstances of those two games. Um, I had the misfortune of being present at Forest and, of course, not being at Wolves. Um, so that just about sums that up. Um, I've been, I've had a total mixed bag of the three games that I've been to since being back. Uh, West Ham at home, where we absolutely battered them. The Wembley situation, where you're technically going to put it down as a draw, and then being quite thoroughly beaten by a forest side that had about eight percent of the ball um so so it's really uh very much a brighton giveth and a brighton taketh away uh this last this last seven days um and it's been a real up and down ride hasn't it um europe wembley cup finals semi-finals all of the above uh ebbing and flowing with our results and the others um Let's just go all the way to the end before we get to the the beginning where we talk about Forest. How are you two feeling uh, after these last couple of games? What's your Albion mojo like right now? And we'll start with Dagan because you're the, ah, the screen that um, I see. <laughs> I, looking at the fixtures ahead, I feel like the inside track on fifth is Liverpool's. And I think the battle for sixth remains uh, well within range. And so my, my hope is that we will, we will see Spurs continue to stumble and Villa to have enough hiccups. I would love for them to have enough, have them to have enough hiccups that that last game uh, wouldn't matter, but I expect that sixth and seventh will come down to the final game of the season. Yeah. I, Mojo's at like a good seven or eight, right? After, after, after that sort of win, like sort of six nil and a, a drumming. And I think we'll, we'll get onto it. And the fact that it should have been a lot more than that is, is impressive. But, you know, it, there's a, a bit of wariness in there around just the squad depth. I know we talk about it nigh on every week. Um, but you saw what will happen um, when you have tired legs and, and when you are maybe not at the races. Um, you can lose to anyone in this league. And, and we've seen it. Um, so I, I agree with you, Dagan, though. I think fifth is 
I mean, we can aim for it, but I think really sixth is probably where I hope we'll end up. And um, being able to break into that, you know, media centric top six would be would be excellent. Um, but we'll see. We've got huge games coming up, and um, ever since I think Josh to to your. I think you might remember this, the, the promotion season as well, where where sort of we just got beaten by Villa on the last day to come second rather than first. And um, that always sort of sticks in the memory for me as well. It's going to be a huge last day, irrespective of where we are. Um, but we have six more games before that. So um, to answer your question in a short way, um, I'm feeling pretty good after, after Saturday. Yeah, uh, we have a horrible record against Villa. So I hope that it's not less to the last day. Um, our last 11 games back to 2010, we've won one um, and then lost six and drawn five or drawn five and lost five and then won the one game. Um, It gets worse if you go back in time, but the last time we were regularly playing them was so far, like there was like a 20 year break and like, we're talking like 60s, 70s, 80s, but it's grim. It's even worse back then. So that's not (laughs) going back further. It's like one win in 23 or something. Um, Let's talk Forest first and foremost because we need to get it out of the way because um, we didn't record midweek. Um, do you, given what happened at Wolves, do you think that we get a better, worse, or the same kind of result against Forest if we had made the Wolves changes for Forest instead? So if we'd made the five or six to play team road uh, player rotation, uh, so you're bringing in your Gilmore's, uh, your Undavs properly, um, and you're the changes that we saw made there because there was a fair few of them, right? We saw quite a few come in for Wolves. Um, you saw uh, da, 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 let's see, um, Welbeck coming in and Cizo coming in full time. Um, you saw a bunch of them come back in and get kind of like a full rotation. Do you think it's different? Do you think we we beat Forest on the day? Or do you think that was just one of those things uh, and just an unfortunate situation for Deserby? I I think in order for that Wolves result to happen, we needed to lose to Forest, right? Uh, and I, I I feel like you you sort of that's the response that was needed. Um, and I also think to to an extent is that you can't really chop and change that team around too much from the FA Cup semi final because we did play well. It, it's just, it just came down to luck of the draw at the end of the day, and it is what it is. But Tired legs. I, I get the the argument. We should have swapped things around immediately, but I, I think that just sends the wrong message, right? Is that you know, yes, we've got a lot of games, but that that fact still remains for the, the next month. Is that we're going to be playing every three or four days? So, and um, this rotation is going to be needed. But ultimately, the, the way I feel, and hindsight's a, a wonderful thing, but it, it's in order for that six nil to happen there needed to be an adverse result before it um, just because we needed that type of reaction. Um, so a fresh lineup, something to prove, especially back at home. Um, I felt like it was probably a precursor to to that oh, taming of the wolves. I don't know what else to say, but but yeah, um, I that's how I feel. What about you, Dagan? Um, no, Craig, those are all points well made. I, I do think being... Uh, at Forest has something to do with that result. Their crowd, by all accounts, was tremendous and sort of buoyed them. But you know, the other side of that coin, um, now we did we did make a, a notable change that I thought hurt us, which Colwell I did not think had his best day out in that Forest game. And so that if we could pull that one back, just Webster alone in that spot maybe changes the result. Um, and as well as Gilmore played, the one guy who I thought really looked like his legs were tired was Caicedo. Um, 
he just didn't look up to his usual standard, and that standard is incredibly high. Um, but you know, uh, and then maybe in CISO on the wing, you know, finishes the the rather easy one that Matoma missed uncharacteristically. Um, so I mean, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. We maybe the result is different. I guess um, if you get the same Gilmore, if you know those subs are ready to play as well on the road as they were at home, perhaps. Um, but yeah, Josh, I wish you, we had come home after the cup match. I'll say that. But just you, you were there, right? So, what was the what was the general feeling at Forest? Yeah, I, the general feeling I think is is pretty much what Arctic Temper said in the chat. The first half against Forest was actually quite good. I thought we played pretty well. Um, the goal for Bonanote right is even sweeter. It was just yet another guy spawned out of nowhere that is starting to score goals at Brighton over Albion. Um, I think we could see that players looked tired, but Forrest just didn't look great. Um, and we were we were outplaying them in just about every faucet of the game, right? And I think that we needed to make those changes at halftime uh, because the cliche of the, the worst time to concede uh, was very much there, right? Right on halftime and Forrest came out a very different side and the crowd came out a very different crowd in that second half. They immediately got behind them and it was like, it was like a totally different, like 30,000 people showed up to Brighton. Like we, it was unrecognizable from the crowd that was in the first half. It was just quite like, we, we didn't realize there was 28,000 people there. Um, that goal goes in at halftime. And I think that, I think that changed everything, unfortunately. Um, and I'm not sure there were many subs we could have changed to stem that flow. I think it was just the classic momentum thing. Um, I'm pretty much on board with you, Craig, on the idea that we had to lose that in order to do what we did at Wolves. Um, I think Deserby has even said it, right? Like, you need to lose sometimes you can't just win forever because you don't get better if you win all the time um and i think for him it was a big wake-up call uh and i think it helped a lot but i do i do think you're also right Dagan. i think if that was not in forest at home i think that result's still different i think we beat them um but it wasn't it was it was away uh on a horrible wednesday night um and it was not the best end to to the game at all um james as well in chat Noting that Spurs and Villa are very overtakeable, Liverpool possibly, but sixth is by all means within reach. Just a reminder, seventh is enough for Europe this year now with the cup finals the way they are. Um, so sixth is great to target, but let's not get too worried if we're sitting in seventh. We will then have a qualifier for the Europa Conference League. Um, and full disrespect to those teams, frankly, but we could be <laughs> we could be drawing like the second place team in Gibraltar in that two leg tie. Um, you can only see what West Ham are doing right now. Like semi-finals, they're what 15th in the league right now. They haven't looked good all season, but we're up against AZ in, in the semi-final. So uh, I think any team in the Premier League can do damage in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one more thing as well, before we go back to the questions, uh, Murph as well in the chat, I'm interested in just getting all of the people in the chats. I'll be a mojo as well. Uh, Murph is not going to lie. He is extremely, or she, uh, is extremely optimistic. Uh, the same day that Brighton had the 6-0, uh, his other blue and white team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, made it out of the first round of the playoffs for the first time since 2004. Maybe that's a sign. Uh, they had one win out of 19 previous games when they were leading the playoff series since 2004. Got to be a good omen. Yeah, pretty sure 2004 was the year Leon Knight bagged the playoff winner as well. 
That is right. right. <laughs> yeah. I was in I was in Cardiff that day. That was that was special. There you go. There yeah. you go. That's good omens all round. Look at us. <laughs> Can I pose a question for you guys about that sixth, seventh dilemma? Because I'm curious on your take. Yeah. So we're attracting a lot of interest, it seems, from some promising players. We're hopeful of keeping our own players. Do you think there's a discernible difference between players at the top end being willing to come or willing to stay if we're in the Europa League versus the Conference League? Because that that's why my heart's so set on six as opposed to seven. I, I feel like there would be, but again, I'm new here. I don't think so, personally, um, for the level of player that we're at, personally. Uh, Alexis McAllister, yes, but I think Alexis McAllister is gone regardless. Like, I've finished mourning him. I'm fully in the acceptance period, like, He's a good player, but like, and we've said it on this podcast before and say it very quietly, we can afford to lose Alexis McAllister a lot more than we can afford to lose Moises Caicedo. Um, so for me, like, he's going to go, and that's okay. Um, he's fully earned it, a bit like the Trossard situation, the Bazuma one, like, no hard feelings, go ahead, go do what you're going to do. I suspect it will be Liverpool if I had to pick, um, and I suspect it will be a lot of money, like 70-plus million pounds, and that's thank you very much. Um but for your Caicedos, your mid-timers, your Estepinians, um, Estepinian especially, right, he's played at a higher level of European football. Um, but I think finishing seventh and playing the Conference League, uh, I suspect we would do really well in that competition. Like, to Craig's point, like, we are piecing apart West Ham's. Like, the West Ham's of the world are not able to keep up with Deserby Ball. Um I don't think that we would have a problem getting through that spot and qualifying for the group stage. And I think we would go quite deep into it. Um, and I think that for, for most players at the level we're at is enough. Um, and for those players that we're talking about trying to buy, you'd, we'll talk about this right towards the end, I suspect, but there's a certain Watford captain at only 21 years old that is probably about to become our record signing that is moving from a team in mid-table in the championship to a team that are potentially finishing seventh in the Premier League. For him, it's already a huge step up. They're the sort of people we're targeting, right? We're talking about just last year, like this year, your Bonanotes, your Yasinayaris that are coming from Sweden and everywhere else. Like, that's a huge influx. So, for me, I, I don't think it will make much difference. Uh, Europe is Europe for a lot of these people, and that is it's just one big stage for them because they're going to see it as if I play well against these people, I'm going to get wanted by Arsenal and Manchester United and Manchester City and so on and so forth. Yeah, I I agree. I think for the for the top tier, Caicedos and McAllisters, I think it may be a problem. I think they'll... They're talking about Champions League immediately, right? They're they're attracting interest from teams that are regularly playing in the Champions League and are expecting to play in the Champions League. So, those sort of players that we're probably already expecting to go, or or at least going to attract a lot of options, I think that's where we're going to see the issue. I think, like Josh said, every other player that currently hasn't played in Europe or hasn't played in Europe, or has before and is now trying to get back there i feel like it's a suitable option regardless of whether it's sixth or seventh would i prefer the europa league over the conference league absolutely i think everyone would but i i think it's always it's just going to be a win if it's sixth or seventh it's just a win so um yeah i think the only issue would be the players that i'm already expecting to leave really um and i think everyone else would just be happy to be going to slovakia and kazakhstan to go and play in the away game 
Thanks for indulging me, guys. <laughs> well, what about what about you? What would you prefer? I mean, I, w- I would prefer the higher level, and I think mostly because I my thought would be that maybe we just attract just a little bit more depth talent. Because my worry is sort of like West Ham, we spread ourselves thinner by playing all the extra games. Is it worth it in the Conference League to maybe suffer in the Premier League standings? if we don't have that depth, whereas maybe we have just a little bit more talent. If we know that extra money is coming in from Europa, because there's a sizable difference, right? I suspect so. Uh, I don't know the full ins and outs of what your price money looks like in the Europa to the conference. Honestly, Um, I don't think it would be as sizable as you think. For those two competitions. A good point, perhaps. Rather win the conference league than make the Europa sem- make the Europa semis. Arctic temper. Yeah, I love I love that we're at this point where we're so far ahead of ourselves. We're talking about <laughs> winning the Europa conference league or making the Europa semis. Um, I think the obvious answer to that is you'd rather win the conference league, right? You've got silverware and you're then guaranteed the Europa for the following year. Um, at that point, you're really not struggling to hold on to talent. Uh, um, if you're able to give them silverware and Europe for another year, um, you're unless you're Mo- Moises Caicedo, where again, like Craig was saying, you're you've now got every big club on the planet banging on the door, not just politely knocking. You've got Madrid, Barcelona, Juve, who can't compete money wise anyway. Bayern Munich, Man City, every single one of them is like kicking the door down. He's going to go at that point, um, but I think for the rest of them, like. Yeah, I mean, that's like a dream, isn't it, for, for a lot of them um, at the level they're at. Let's get back on track here. Cause we're <laughs> I'll take you on the side, side road. Um, all right, let's talk the response because I really don't want to talk about Forrest too much. It was horrific. Um, and it was also just one of those classic bad days at the office, 45 minutes of football, and we would just, it just everything that could go wrong did go wrong. So let's talk Wolves. Uh, because there was a lot of changes made again. Uh, starting 11 this time, Jason Stale in goal. Um, we then had Veltman, Webster, Dunk, and Estepinion. Obviously, Webster came in uh, for um, Colwell. Dagan, who you were noting, was not at his best. Uh, Gilmore and Gross uh, in the midfield. And then a front four of Enciso, Undav, March, and Welbeck. Uh, obviously, drop into the bench were some notable names, First of all, Alexis, Kaisa, Alexis and Caicedo, your two uh, double pivot monsters there as well. Uh, Yomitoma, Buonanote, of course, dropped to the bench as well, um, and Colwell as well. How are you feeling? Obviously, it was a response, uh, and it was obviously a necessary one, right, with the amount of tired legs, and, and it couldn't have been more abundantly clear after Forrest. Um, but be very honest, uh, how were you all feeling seeing that start in 11? Um, because... I think we're all pretty aware of what the general sentiment was. Uh, but yeah, how, how were you feeling when you saw that group of players lined up against Wolves? Confusion. Uh, I was just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, yeah, I like you said, it something needed to change. People need to be rested. People need to be rotated, right? We've now got seven games in the space of three and a half weeks, right? It, it has to happen. But to this level, you're you're looking at, I think it was five changes and, you know, shout out to Paul Merson for getting it horrifically wrong, but it's just a, but I think ahead of the game, you, you are thinking 
broadly along the same lines in that I don't know what this is. I don't know what we're playing here or what is happening. Um, and like I said, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But at, at the time, it's sort of, okay, two strikers. How's that going to work? Um, Undav has been less than impressive, um, if you if you can say. Welbeck's got four goals to his name and you've got a 19-year-old out on the left wing where he hasn't really played for us before because he hasn't had to. So the questions were there when, when you start looking at it. Um, obviously they're, they're sort of quashed 15 minutes in, but ahead of the game, you're, you're sort of, you're going, okay, five changes. Um, we haven't ever seen this lineup before. Uh, but I did like Veltman at right back, back again. Um, I feel like that's just so key. And I think we, we speak about Veltman a lot, but I was just happy to have him back in that right, right back slot because it just gives us this solidity at the back. So I was optimistic about that alone but the rest of it was sort of out for debate um what about you Dagan? in rdz we trust uh was, was my thought but i was nervous i think like everybody else but i was i was not one to express that outwardly um because i just was like all right i've got to trust the manager here it just felt like the right thing to do um i what i took note of very quickly that it was clear was we weren't going to be able to function with sort of the typical double pivot. And because we had the two strikers, Welbeck and Undop dropping deeper to receive, and it was clear more than ever we were gonna we were gonna really try to attack down that left side with Nciso. Um and we just did it repeatedly. We just kept going back and back to that well. But it was because we were overloading in the midfield um, and getting a numbers advantage and really taking advantage of them that way, which I thought was a stroke of genius. Um, to sort of compensate for maybe not having quite as much, you know, one-on-one ability in the guys that we had out there. I think it helped that Samedo quit on his stall, didn't he? About 40 minutes in. Um, it was so bad for him. Um, yeah, for me, I felt I felt the same way. I didn't feel so much confusion. I, I looked at it, I was like, what? And then after looking at it, and I said to you as well, Craig, I was like, this is like Deserby sending a message, isn't it? This is him going, look at this shit I have to put on this pitch because my depth is so poor. Um, and then that shit turned out to score six goals. Uh, so <laughs> that shows why uh, why he's a manager. Um, and all I do is talk into a microphone uh, with less qualified opinions. Um, yeah, no, it was it was not a lineup that I felt much confidence in. Um I assumed we would probably lose given how poorly we played against Forest in that second half. And I thought that that was pretty much it. Like we were going to get beat by Wolves who had been on a recent decent run as well. I think that was a big part too. If Wolves had been playing like this for the last three weeks, I wouldn't have felt that way, Uh, but they'd actually been on a decent enough run to like get themselves a hundred percent safe looking good. And I suppose I didn't really give enough credit to the fact that they were going to be mildly on the beach uh, and just over it at this point. Um, so I was really worried. Uh, I thought this is not a great idea. Um, and within about six minutes, uh, Dennis Undav, of all people, pops it into the back of the net like he is just the most like cool, calm and collected Premier League poacher ever. Um, not a bad start, was it? Uh, and how long did VAR take to try and rule this goal out? It took a long time, didn't they? Yeah, they really wanted to it's too early in the game you can't do that so uh yeah they they took a while but 
<laughs> I was imagining in my head how many stoppages of the ball progressing from Welbeck's foot they tried to look at to see if they could get one freeze frame for Undavis, you know, an inch off sides. Because um, I was like, what else could they possibly be doing? I mean, it wasn't an overly complex play. It was a very quick flick. It wasn't even like a typical, like, weighted pass coming through where you, you know, maybe could judge when it was coming off the foot. The ball was hardly on his foot from Welbeck. Maybe that was the difficulty. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was insane how long we took. Um, James in the chat said that Gilmore was a possible man of the match. Um, do you think he could become a starter next year? I, it's impossible to say for me at this point. I think this summer is going to be pretty wild. Um, so I don't know where the hell he's going to be in terms of the pecking order or what Albion's midfield is going to look like. Um, but he was crucial uh, in the build-up to the second goal, wasn't he? Um, beautiful touch in the center circle um, and just a beautiful pass onto Enciso who basically took the game by the throat uh, for the next 30 minutes of football um, on the left. Uh, Mitoma must have been watching that and thinking, thank God I can sit down for a little bit longer uh, because he is running the game at this point. Um, and I don't think I've seen a Brighton side slice apart any football team quite so brutally as that second goal. Uh, and who else uh, but Mr. Mr. Reliable himself, Mr. First ever Premier League goal for Brighton and Obarbian, Pascal Gross uh, slams it uh, into the top corner as if he's like the most seasoned finisher as well. Um, and what, 14 minutes in, we are absolutely flying. Uh, Gross, the sprint that he made was so opportunistic, right? I mean, he, he saw what was happening and to his credit, Undav, I thought did a great job of dragging the center back across, right? His, his movement to clear out space opened up the sort of weak side uh, for that gross run. It was, I mean, it was just beautiful by all parties, but it's one of those subtle things that Undop does well that I think people don't notice when he's struggling to gather the ball on his feet. Um, but he does do a, a number of other things well in the buildup and, and sort of figure out where to be is one of them for me. Yeah. I think Undop's going to get a few flowers today, isn't he? Just for this performance alone. But I, I think, it was the first sort of 15, 20 minutes is just, I think it was surprising to me how much we just stuck to the same plan, if that makes sense, in that we still went for a 4-2-3-1 in this respect. We still wanted Ndav and Welbeck to drop deeper like NCSO and Ferguson used to. We still put it straight out to the left winger just to try and create things. And and, and we, we get March to pick up, you know, on the right-hand side when we need to, when we need to drop the ball over. Except Nciso is just going inside rather than going down the line. And and I think that's where Semedo had an absolute Western in, in just not being able to handle that. Um, you know, you, you go into this game, right? And you think you're Wolves. You're right. I've got Matoma on the left wing. We need to prepare to be running up and down the line, left, right and rhubarb, right? And then all of a sudden you put Nciso on the left wing, who's doing the complete opposite and showing you onto your other foot. Uh, and in the Semedo's case, it's going to be onto his weaker foot. I don't know if you train for that. I don't know what they do in their in their daily battles, but it it just seemed to me like Semedo was having an absolute nightmare. And it may be just because Enciso was doing something that we just haven't seen before. We haven't seen him out on that left wing. So, but him in the last couple of games has been outrageous. You, you have to remember he's like 19 years old. He was born in what, 2004? It's a joke. So just being able to do that to people and, and be able to set up the second, and it's such a nice pass, the vision and Dav's move and, and gross with his weaker foot. But even the third goal as well, and we'll get onto it because it was only a couple of minutes later, but just being able to cut in and, and give it to gross on the outside of the box. Um, I thought we had a tremendous game. 
Yeah, and CISO, uh, for me, I think the moment that you saw it switch on for him was that West Ham game where it was brought on as a sub. And him and Sarmiento just ripped them apart. And he almost scored the goal that he scored at Chelsea against West Ham if it wasn't for that excellent save. Um, And from then on, he seems to have just gone from strength to strength, from confidence to confidence. Um, And popping him out wide seems to have been an inspired move. Uh, because like you say, just a couple of minutes later, um, you know, this is a player that's probably going to win goal of the season, uh, but he sets up one that is probably going to be very close competition, isn't it? Um, I can't speak enough, and most listeners know just as well as I do, but I still just need to say it. I can't speak enough for the level of technique that Pascal Gross possesses to be able to do what he did for that third goal. I'm, it's it's world-class. Like, there's nothing short of world-class. Like, that is not, like, it's just unbelievable to do what he did. Um, and at that point, the game fell over, didn't it? And it was only about 26 minutes in. Right, it's crazy. And, and I think it that obligatory thought every couple of times that Gross does this, because he is so reliable, it's just like, how has this person never got a cap for Germany at this rate, right? And, and you think he's operating at this sort of level. He's got, what, eight goals this year. He's consistently scoring goals on a on a yearly basis. He's able to play right back, left wing, right wing, wherever you need him to be. He's obviously a leader of the of the dressing room as well because you, you saw that at halftime. It just baffles me that he hasn't got that international recognition because, um, yeah, it, there's not really too much you can say about gross at this point just he continues to surprise and he just continues to deliver it's another great game yesterday unfortunately we'll, we'll talk about veltman and probably his injury later on and what that means to gross but it having him in that middle and um, that obviously helps gilmore have a fantastic game as well because whenever you play alongside gross you're, you're going to be better Eight goals and six assists this season for Pascal Gross. Uh, he's one goal involvement away from matching his best ever season, which was, of course, his first year under Hewton, uh, where he had seven goals, eight assists. Um, at this point, I know we talked about Veltman a lot, but I'm sh- like, surely he is now like far, like pound for pound the most value for money signing we've probably ever made, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's up there with Altman, right? It's unbelievable. Just unbelievable. <laughs> um, Caicedo's not bad either. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, I, think, I feel like we spent a fair whack on him, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I Grace is one away from being Premier League top scorer for us as well, isn't he? I think he might be, yeah. Um, he's, got, he's got seven games, and if he plays like he did on Saturday, he will be. Yeah, him and Alexis are currently both on eight goals. Um, for the season. I'm not sure if they're all prem, though. Yeah, the poison the moment on that goal, it just looked like a kid in the park, right? Just popping it up, taking his time, just bending it in the corner. Like, you know, there's no one watching at all. It was astounding. Yeah, it was mental. Uh, and just before halftime, uh, just before Samedo quit, um, Danny Welbeck gets in on the party. Uh, and Esther Pinion, who... I thought had probably his worst game ever for us at Forest. Uh, got some redemption um, here at home to Wolves because I thought he was excellent uh, and probably could have had a brace himself. Uh, he got quite unlucky 
uh, with the Wolves defender choosing to finally block a shot for once. Um, and then he also had to force a decent save out of Saar, which he didn't make many of. Um, so he's still still waiting for his first goal uh, after being absolutely scammed out of that one against Palace. Um, but uh, I thought he played really, really well. I mean, everyone played really well, but I thought he played really well. Um, and Welbeck, uh, we talked a few times about his heading accuracy and how it leaves a lot to be desired at times. Uh, but this was pretty much the textbook downward header into the back of the net, wasn't it? To to really just brutally end the, any hope they had before before half time. It's crazy, right? I, I think he's he is like you said. I he's sort of not consistent enough but i think we always we always say this that if he was consistent enough then he wouldn't be at the level that he's at he'd be playing even higher right so um but yeah your your textbook downward header it's 4-0 at what 40 minutes and and you're thinking right okay where's this been firstly um and and secondly i think we also need to look at wolves and how utter garbage they were um and I think it's not just the first 45, but predominantly, but just the whole game, just on the beach somewhere far, far, far away. Because I think you, you look at the defending and you you look at Semedo quitting before half time, and you've got some players in there. And some of those Wolves players are very, very good. And and you think they had three wins in their last four. They come they come down to, to the Amex and they put on a show like that. Like, no wonder they're all apologising because, like, the... The header itself, it's a textbook downward header and, and Danny Welbeck's done really well there, but he hasn't been tracked whatsoever. It's completely free. Um, and just some of the defending on show, I think as much as we can credit the, the Brighton players, you only beat what's in front of you and, and that's always going to be the case. But my word, it was horrible what was in front of us. Um, and thankfully, this time, we actually managed to punish it. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point about the, the form they were in. Three out of the last four, as you said, all of those clean sheets, Chelsea, Brentford, and then Palace, who at the time was in as good a form as they've been in all year. Um, so those are not, you know, negligible quality wins. Those are those are good quality wins that they had coming in. Um, I thought it was when Steele made the one real save, I think it was 2-0, um, I think, I think it was over then. I just think at that point, as you said, they're on the beach, they're safe. And it was like, it's not our day. And if it wasn't the case, then it certainly was the case after Gross's, you know, goal made it three. Um, and then it made it four. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, how much fight do you have Do you have in you? I know the Spurs rallied from, from three down, but they're playing for something right now. Um, yeah, not that it ended well for them either. Uh, thank, <laughs> thankfully, uh to be fair to the Wolves manager and the Wolves coaching team, they were not going to let this go down easily. Uh, they made their substitution early with Samedo deciding to not want to play anymore and brought on Penence, a very attacking choice, right? He brought on a very attacking player. Um, and then uh, at halftime, you know, three minutes later, brought on another three substitutions. So brought four new players into the game for the full 45 minutes in the second half. Uh, very eager to change at least the narrative of what this game looked like. Um, and within three minutes, it was five. <laughs> uh, Danny Welbeck again on the score sheet. Um, and it kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? Just absolutely lashed it. It was it was an odd one. Um, because when he hit it, it didn't even look like it was going into a corner or anything. It just seemed to have wrong-footed everybody in 
it was at that point any hopes and dreams they had, I think, of at least controlling the narrative that it was a tough game was dead. <laughs> yeah, weird. I, I know just it was so strange that they just stood off him completely and just decided to let him shoot. And I think again, we say he's not consistent enough, but he he knows how to finish in the right times. Um, so you give him some space and like you said, it was such a weird shot. Like I, I, I didn't really fully understand what was going on because it just seemed to hit the middle of the net and everyone just seemed to start celebrating. It was strange, but you know, you get to you're four nil at half time. You're absolutely cruising. You come out and then two minutes later you, you score another one. It just as if the game wasn't already dead. Like the whole Simpsons meme thing that we're so used to, right? Then it then it's just. Like, okay, well, this is this is just gonna be fun for 40 minutes now. It's not gonna be a coast, but it's just gonna be fun. Um, and you can just enjoy it from there. Not that you weren't going to anyway, but it just it completely just killed them off and going, if you had any chance, you now don't. Um, and it, it was just fun from that point. Fun for us. Um I'm not sure that Wolverhampton Wanderers felt the same amount of fun uh, <laughs> when they saw Mitoma, Bonanote, McAllister, and Caicedo be subbed on uh, in the next 15 minutes or so. Um, Dagan, first of all, how much of a morale sink must that be to not only be 5-0 down and then see those four people warming up uh, to come on and play you? But what, what did you think of that decision? Because we don't play until Thursday, so it's still a still a short week, right? We've we've still got, you know, less get less days rest than you would want. Um, but this is a group of players that have looked exhausted, and the changes were made for that reason. We could have easily have rested them for the rest of the game with no problem whatsoever, and kept some of these players. You know, we could have brought on some of those fringe players off of the bench. What was what was your thought when you saw that that group of players coming on? So I. My initial was please don't let them get please don't let them get hurt right like, that was my first fear right that's just a cardinal sin of coaching is having guys out there when they shouldn't be and the game is decided my my thought was he put a group out there that he thought would be less likely to concede um and i think he's thinking about goal differential we we are we were at the end of the game one behind liverpool we're now two behind liverpool in goal differential. And I think that may have been the motivator. Um, try to keep scoring and or not let them score. That was the only sense I could make of it. Yeah. I mean, we, we spoke about it during the game, wasn't it? It was just a very strange thing. I think the, the first thing that comes into your mind at half time is right, let's get let's get the fringe players on and, and get them some minutes and you know, sort of bleed them into the team like we like to do. Um, but Dagan, yeah, I, I also didn't see it from that side is that, you know. Let's, let's put them to the sword. There's goals to be had here. And we knew that there was 10 or 11 there because Estepinion missed two, Welbeck missed the sitter. You're already on nine. And I, I, I'm not even looking at any stats. So there's there were goals to be had there. And I yeah, I, I fully get that. Um, but I think the, the general premise was why? Why? <laughs> that you could easily just give, you know, your two most, probably your most important players in, in Cosedo and McAllister in that pivot role at that point, give them a day off, give them a full rest until Thursday. But then half of you is going, right, well, you still want match fitness, right? You still want to get them involved at some point and, and have them feel that. Um, you're, you're a winning team. Let's get them on the pitch and, and see what we can do. So, yeah, 
if one of them got injured, this is a very different conversation. Um, but considering we came out relatively unscathed, um, one person aside, um, then it was, it's okay, right? It, it's just more of a, just that ruthlessness that RDZ has is that, right, okay, um, there's more to be had here and we can probably hurt them even more. So why not just go for the jugular? Yeah, um, James as well says that he thinks bringing on McAllister and Moises was great man management. Uh, it's, it allowed ovations for the guys who had won us the game and made the whole squad a part of it. Um, and I think that is tangentially, like, in my point of view too. Like, I hated it, frankly. I wish we would have brought on more because I'm more of a conservative person when it comes to stuff like that because I am terrified when I was getting hurt. Um, but it's a confidence thing too, isn't it? They've had a really hard seven days. Like, cool. Let's just bring them on and let them just have some fun. Like you said, like there's no pressure. We're not going to lose. Like we're not. They, they're shocking. Like just go on, dictate the game, and get yourself back in the groove of what it feels like to win football games. Um, I think helped. Uh, and Dennis Undav uh, promptly uh, saw the opportunity for another one, uh, thanks to Mitoma and himself pressing the goalkeeper and the defender. Um, Stephen in the chat. Uh, we did notice the time of Dennis Undav's goals, the sixth minute and the 66th minute, uh, the the mark of the devil. Um, and I suspect that Wolves will feel that way for quite some time whenever they think of Dennis Undav. Um, because, first of all, great bit of pressing at 5-0 up, by the way. Uh, like, just absolute piss take that we're not letting it go, even at that point. Um, and of all the players on the pitch at this point, uh, knowing Dennis Undav and the way he's played for the 15 or so games he's had appearances in um you both you both absolutely expected that kind of finish didn't you for the sixth that was obvious that he was just gonna coolly and calmly chip the keeper and put it into the back of the net at that point at that angle as well yeah i mean we we know he's a clinical finisher right and i think there's it'll it'll do the rounds on the social media and bits and pieces i think his, his touch lets him down a couple of times you saw it Notably, you can pick the one at Man United if if you feel so inclined, right? Um, but we know he's a clinical finisher. Like the, we've got thirty odd goals in Belgium. Yeah, I'm sure it's not as good of a league, but you still need to you still need to finish. So we know he's got it in him. He he done it against Middlesbrough. Like he he has that touch. Um, but we haven't seen it for ourselves um, in that sort of nature and in in a Brighton shirt. And it was it was nice to see him have the confidence to do that and actually pull it off especially at five, five nil up, there's no real pressure anyway, but to be able to pull that off and, and clip, clip the left post as he does it, it's a, it's a good finish. And I, I'm happy for him. I think he's had a, he's had a tough time. Um, maybe adapting to the Premier League a little bit slower than maybe people would have liked. Um, but he's a, he's a 6 million quid signing, right? And we, we were expecting a lot from him, maybe too much. I don't know, but, I, f- I feel like he's adapting, but slower than we would have liked. Um, but it's good for him to get a couple of goals. Do you think this could be the most dangerous thing to happen for the rest of the league uh, to allow uh, a player that did score as many as he did? I think it was like 50 goal involvements in Belgium last year. Um, Wolves have inadvertently awakened a very confident kid. Do you think, Dagan, that there's more to come from Undab this season? Or do you think this may well just be an Aaron Connolly-esque flash in the pan? What are, what are your thoughts on the next, what, seven games? Or six yeah. with Dennis Undav? I would I would say it won't be his last moment. 
I don't know that we're going to expect to see, you know, five more goals over the remainder of the year, but it wouldn't be shocking to see a couple more um, when chances present themselves. And, and again, I'm, I'm assuming Ferguson is going to be fit and is back in the lineup. Now, if that's not the case. We could, we could see more of Undov because he certainly acquitted himself very well. Um, that goal was monu- monumental uh, in the history of the Wolves. This was the first time in a top-tier game, top level, that they allowed six goals since 1968 to Liverpool. A little old Brighton. A little old Brighton. Yeah, it wasn't their best day, was it? Uh, <laughs> um, we have to talk man of the match, um, which is something I don't particularly envy any of us having to pick with the with the group of players and performances they had. Uh, but we've got to. Um, so, Craig, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, who was your man of the match um, for this just utter rout of Wolves? Uh, I think... Winning 6-0, it's not normally as easy to choose a, a man of the match. But I think for me, it is quite easy, and it's Pascal Kroos. Um, I think just being in that double pivot with Billy Gilmore that hasn't had that much game time, and I think he helped Gilmore a lot with sort of just the the general backup and support that he had. Um, the fact that he's able to go forward and able to score with his left foot, prop up with his right foot and put it into the put it into the back of the net. I think he's just he covers so much ground. He we always we always tease him that he's not the fastest. Um but he covers he covers a lot of ground. He does everything that we need him to do. Only blip of Saturday's game was Veltman coming off injured and notably upset about it. Um then what do you ask him to do? He's just scored two goals he's on his hat trick and you go right Pascal back to right back. Um and then is able to do it with a plumb, no questions asked, and is able to do a job. Um, reliable, versatile, able to score goals. What a player. So, yeah, it, it's it's gross. It won't be for the last time either, but it's, it's Pascal for me. Um, what about yourself, Dagan? My, my honest answer, I know this doesn't count because he's not a player, but it would be deserving for the line of decisions. The boldness... Uh, to have you know Paul Mercer and others sort of laugh at the lineup decisions and suggest that he must be intentionally trying to lose because they don't want to go to Europe. Um, but if I had to pick someone on the field, and I've I've wrestled with this, I've been thinking about it. The Gilmore certainly deserving because I think his performance relative to expectations was huge. But I I don't know if you take in CISO off the pitch that we score six goals. Um, and so and CISO is my man of the match. Um, to me, the, the growth of him finding those two passes and, you know, becoming the youngest South American to have two assists in a Premier League game ever, um, he, he, gets, he gets the honor for me this time. The good thing about this is there really isn't a wrong answer. Um, and so for that reason, Lewis Dunk is my... No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I, no, to be fair, I, like, I think you've made a good point, Dagan, and it was one I was going to bring up as well, not as a man of the match, but like one of those things that you need to come back to and like, acknowledge just how Deserby made those choices and got the result he did. I think that's a huge point um, well made. Uh, for me... 
just to go different to you two, because I think mine would have probably been Pascal Gross, uh, but to go different and just to, because it may never happen again, I will give Undav his Man of the Match award. Um, firstly, for being in the position to be able to slot that first ball home. Uh, and then also being smart enough to stand there without any celebration, waiting for him to get victimized by VAR was nice. Um, and then secondly, that finish was just so unbelievably uh, obnoxious and confident for a player that has been an absolute donkey for the last eight months. Um, I think you've got to like you've got to give him uh, some plaudits for that. And his link-up play was superb. Dagan, like you said, like those those runs he made are runs that. And people used to give him shit all the time, and and rightfully so. But it was it was like an upgrade on the runs that Mope used to make, right? Like Mope, Mope, whatever his name is these days. Um, he he makes those runs that like an out and out number nine makes. He's just been really poor whenever he's had the ball at his feet prior to this weekend, um, and I think that is helpful. Uh, Ferguson is also only 18 and capable of making those runs, which makes him quite a dangerous person uh, for the Premier League and the future of him. Uh, and I think that's why everyone's so high on him and we should be because his football IQ is just like through the roof at 18 years old, both temperamental and just the mental side of looking at things. Um, but for me, I'm going to go with Undav uh, and... It's going to be a really interesting dilemma for Deserby come the Amex on Thursday, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, it's a big game, right? And it's there's some there's some retribution to be had there. Um, so I think you know tails up. But if Ferguson is not ready, do you have a choice of those two? Like, would you? Because I I don't think you put McAllister at the ten, right? And I. I I guess we're, we're sort of moving on to the, to the next part in terms of Thursday, but bearing in mind, I think it's worth mentioning again, just Veltman not expecting to play on Thursday, right? So naturally, Gross moves to right back. McAllister has to play in a double pivot with Caicedo. If we're going with the routine top 11 that we're that we're asking for, is that that has to be there. In which case, the only question for me is that number 10 and probably the left wing position given Enciso's just sparkling form at the moment. So... I guess the question is, do you play Undav and Welbeck together again? Is is the is the real question? And and do you have, you know, Undav as that, I guess, second striker? I guess they're both second strikers the way we sort of play, if you think about it. But do you have them both? And if not, you're playing in CISO uh, at striker again, which we did do against Man United and, and we did play okay. But would you rather change that up? Um I think you you stick with Undav and Welbeck. You both they both scored two goals each. I think it's very hard to try and drop them. Dagan, what are your thoughts on what that starting eleven looks like? I think there's no question that Ferguson's fit, that he's the starter. Um, Gross is probably going to slide back to right back, assuming Veltman is, is, is out. Uh, I do, I've said this before, but I like McAllister at that, that deeper in the pivot than I do at the 10. Um, so then I guess you're imagining in CISO behind Ferguson at the 10. But talking about wide March in his usual spot. Um, I think a lot of folks are saying, you know, put McAllister at the 10 and let uh let Gilmore start again. Maybe, maybe bring Solly off the bench, give him a rest. He's one guy who hasn't had a rest yet. Maybe move Matoma over to the right 
or in CISO over to the right. Um, but I would go with the, the regular 11. But if, if you were going to slot Gilmore in as a, hey, this guy showed me something and deserves it, um, that would be, I think, the move. It's tough, isn't it? Because you've got Everton in, what, like four days, three days after that? they play. We play the Monday against Everton as well. Um, I suspect there will probably be some conversations around the fact that you're not going to start today, you start Monday. Um, for some of those players that played as well as they did against Wolves, I think that's about the only way you're going to be able to make the blow a little bit less brutal if you're dropping them after that. Um, I think it's one of those things that like, I've seen enough. I trust you. We're not going to run Moises out there for another, like in the space of 48, 72 hours. Again, we've seen what happened there. You are going to be starting against Everton. I feel like is the logical thing to do. Um, but you never know with Deserby. Um, I've got another question for you both uh, because we were talking about it pre-game before Forest, and there was a lot of mixed opinions at the table. Um, the choice to bring back Steel after Sanchez had started a couple of games. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Would you like to keep Steel at number one, uh, or did you see enough of Sanchez at Wembley to decide? Huh, maybe he's done enough to come back. What What were your thoughts uh, on that? On that choice, um, obviously with Wolves, he didn't really have anything to do, uh, but he did ship three against Forest, but also pull off a couple of tremendous saves, including the pen. So I would, I'd be interested because there was a total mix of opinions uh, at the table I was at prior to Forest. It's a good question. I could, I can tell why people have differences in opinions, but I think for me, still stays until the end of the season. Um, I think, and it's nothing against Sanchez and his Man United outing. I thought he was, I thought he was good. Um, one thing Sanchez does not have under his cap is penalty saves, and and I think we we know that. Um, there was, I think there was a ge- a general consensus before those penalties on Man United was, are we actually going to put Steele in as a viable option? That was a genuine thing we were talking about. So um, I also think Steele's better with his feet at this point. Um, are you? just the ability to play out and the way that we work. And, and I think that's where the Zobi's coming from in that respect is that just his ability to play those passes and be more confident in those passes. And um, we, we, I think we spoke about this on the last pod where for me, Sanchez got to that point now where I, I think everything's risky because he, he does have a mistake in him. And therefore I always think the worst whilst with, with Jason Steele, it's more assured for me and, and he's able to do that. Is he a better shot stopper than Sanchez? Probably not. Um, is he a better penalty saver? Yes. Is he better with his feet? Yes. So for me at this point, the pros outweigh the cons. However, I don't expect Jason Steele to still be our number one next summer. So uh, I think there, there's something there in terms of let's get to the end of the season and, and have Steele and then let's reevaluate our options in the summer and, and see what the transfer market has or maybe we just reassess and, and, and readdress. But for me, it's, it's the right call. I think Jason still stays until something disastrous happens, but I, I don't see it with the form that he's currently in. Um, but yeah, Dayon, what's your, what's your thoughts? Well, Josh, Craig, I, I think the reason it's a good question is because I think there's an argument to be had for both sides. Um, you can't teach height. Uh, I think Sanchez is the, the better shot stopper. He can react later and still make a save where Steele almost has to make a more decisive move earlier, um, which I think in many ways has served him really well. Uh, 
on the PKs where you have to do that. Sanchez, I think, thinks he can wait longer and he can't on a penalty kick as he can in a game situation. Um, I think, it, you know, often he's just not not close or he's just not used to making that read so quickly. Um, but yeah, I would agree with you. Steals a better, <laughs> better stopping penalty kicks. We certainly saw that evidence of that first forest stop, which was incredible. It was incredible. Uh, probably up, you know, It'll be unremarkable because of the result, but had we won that game or drawn 1-1, uh, that might have been up there for save of the season. Um, but, yeah, I, James makes a good point, right? Long-term, you don't want two guys in a battle necessarily, uh, and Sanchez probably is the long-term fit. But I agree with everything Craig said about where Steele is right now in terms of ability with his feet, and I think the confidence – um, there, he's just less mistake prone. I think when he's playing out of the back, Steel, I mean, Sanchez occasionally will just make a gaffe that you're sort of, you know, astounded by. It seems a mental lapse um, at times, but you know, I guess 25 for a keeper is still still on the upside, right? And he's still going up, still trending up. Steel, we're probably seeing his very very best right now. So. Yeah, which I don't think anyone thought that Jason Steele would be seeing his best at this age. Honestly, I think a lot of people had written off. Jason Steele a long time ago. Um, Final question uh, before we hop off. Um, We're sat on 52 points currently. Uh, So we have now beaten our best ever points total in the Premier League, which is, first of all, fantastic, right? That's all you could ask for. Um, Especially with the season of upheaval we've had. We've lost so many players, coaches, everything, just about everything, um, and had to replace and replenish as best we could. Um, from transfer fees to Wepu to, to just situations like that. So in terms of the teams above us, uh, Villa are sat on 54 points with four games to go. Tottenham on 54 with four games to go. Liverpool on 56 with five games to go. And we have 52 with seven. How many points do you think we need to finish on? Uh, we're sat on 52. So how many points do you think we need to finish on if we want to have the best chance of European football. Like, obviously, we want to win all seven, but if you wanted to pick out a points total there, you know, nine points, three wins would be enough uh, at 61, or do you think we'd need a bit more than that? What What's your viewpoints on uh, on your on where we need to be um, for, for the results coming up? Boy, I was just looking at the screen over here, just trying to work it out. Um, but... How much do I think we need around the 62, 63 mark for, for sixth or seventh? I think you've got Villa and Tottenham on 54. They've got four games left to play. Let's say they grab seven from those four. I think that's a, a realistic thing. They, I think, believe they do have to play each other as well. Um, so there's, there's that to take into account. But I think if you hit 62, 63, I think you're in the, you're in the top seven, right? I think quite clear. Um, that means. 10 points from what seven games um but bearing in mind who we have to play um it it depends i do i do think that will be enough um i think liverpool are probably hitting the sweet spot in their groove right now so uh i think we spoke about this right at the top but i'm gonna say 63 myself um what about you guys i was trying to pull up Tottenham's remaining remaining games so they've got home Palace, away Villa, home Brentford, away Leeds. 
you would think they wouldn't win all four of those. Nine points from that wouldn't be unconscionable. Six, if you were betting, is probably where they would land. Is that fair? So that sits them on 60. That means we need at least nine. And I think nine is the bare minimum that would make me feel comfortable of getting, you know, having a chance to get seven. Because I just don't see Tottenham not finding a way to win two of those. Um, obviously, they've been in pretty poor form. But just given what Palace and, you know, I mean, Leeds is fighting for everything. And it's Leeds at home last game of the season. I do like the possibility that, you know, they're fighting for everything in that game. And maybe Tottenham plays an egg. Uh, but yeah, I would say we need at least nine for six. I think we need at least 12 to get to six. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think we need anywhere from nine to 12 if we want to finish seventh or above. Um, it's going to be really dependent, but yeah, it's going to be tough too. I think you're asking for wins against Everton and Southampton at home. You're hoping for another win in and around there somewhere with a couple of draws. So you're talking about one or two losses maximum um, out of the seven games and the people that we have to play. Um, it's a tough ask, but it is in our hands with, with two games to spare. And um, we spoke about this previously as well. Games in hand mean absolutely not unless you do something with them. Um, so uh, it, it's just up to them now. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'm alone in crossing my fingers that perhaps City has the title sewn up when we play them, but it's possible. If Arsenal drops another game, it's possible that City will have it sewn up when we play them. And maybe Pep does his good buddy deserve me a favor. Or maybe, maybe we make them drop points. <laughs> that would be that would be the perfect that would be the perfect score uh, for sure. Because then we really are in a good spot. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, lots of work to do, uh, and it's going to be coming thick and fast. Um, so. Uh, James, will we be doing another one of these on Friday? Uh, possibly. Um, if not, we'll definitely be doing it Saturday or Sunday um, to cover yeah. Everton. Right. Yeah. But one United prize at Everton. So we'll see what everyone's availability looks like. But we'll, we'll be back uh, to do that one. Um, all right. That's about everything from me. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to bring to the fore? You, you want right, to mention Jao Pedro real quick? Yeah, let's. Uh, Fabrizio Romano uh, broke. Uh, our best friend. Our best best friend, because I'm pretty sure he's definitely like fully in in contact with like just about everybody in Pedro's camp at this point with how quick he gets the inside track. Um, he does seemingly have a real inside track on Jao Pedro. Um, Naylor has confirmed it. Uh, everyone seems to have confirmed it. Uh, Watford's uh, current captain, uh, only 21 years old, is set to sign for us uh, at about £30 million, which would be a club record. Um, very talented kid, very, very talented player. Um, it speaks volumes that they've decided to give this lad the armband at 21 uh, in a Watford side that has been very poor. Um, he's seemingly making any type of effort um, and is capable of playing just about anywhere in that front group of players. Um I I like him a lot, and I was hoping we were going to try and poach him in the summer, and then Newcastle went in, and I assumed, well, there you go, like Newcastle's getting him. Uh, and they ended up going for Anthony Gordon instead um, because the Pedro transfer just wasn't working out. There was a lot of back and forth with Watford, um, and Gordon popped up as available because he threw a tantrum, um, and that was 
that was it. They just splashed the cash on him, uh, which was a fantastic move, by the way. Um, we can see how well that's gone down, especially this weekend. Um, but how are we feeling about that early, early move uh, for Jao Pedro? Um, and what do we think of the talk of James Milner as well? It's, there's a lot going on, right? And um, I think this has been a roller coaster of a week, it's been up and down. Uh, I, the Jao Pedro one makes complete sense. Young, high ceiling, very good. Um, in a, and I think people miss this a very dysfunctional Watford team. So to be able to get the goal contributions that he has this season and be the captain at 21 in a highly topsy turvy Watford team in the middle of the championship, uh, does a disservice to how good or how potentially good he could be. And, um, you know, there is, there was talk about him going to Newcastle, like, look where they are now. Like, when you're talking splashing 45 mil for Anthony Gordon instead of Jao Pedro, that's the level we're talking. Um, it'll be exciting. And having that, I think, versatility across the front three uh, and and him being able to do that, um, being a natural leader at 21 also, also helps. Um, you know, you, you're not talking about any young player here. You're talking about a leader. So exciting. And, and I think it's important that we're getting it done early doors right and it, it sort of we can attract this type of player when we're in this position right we're still in the contest for europe we're still showing that we play some of the best football around and it's it's a very good thing to try and get this done early um the james milner thing makes complete sense we, we've seen it with um with lalana we've seen it with welbeck we've, we've seen it with previous sort of experienced players to help um and the versatility of james milner being able to play just about as, as many positions as gross can um it, it's going to help shuffle the pack and do that so you're talking about two versatile players there that can play in three or four positions um that depth is going to help and and having that caliber of player um is is going to be quite good so um let's hope it happens uh, like i said i think the, the milner one's a bit of a rumor at the moment but it'd be interesting if he was able to come to us because i think he he delivers a lot I was really just going to highlight that last point that both bring versatility and it seems like not an accident, you know, on the heels of questions around depth and will we be ready for Europe to bring in two guys so we can move around to so many different positions. One bringing, you know, huge upside, huge, huge upside. And the other, you know, being more of a known commodity who's a veteran presence, um, apparently with really, really strong Spanish speaking abilities um, as well, uh, which can't hurt uh, sort of our stable players. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be more excited. It just seems like we're going to get the ball rolling early. We're rumored with a few more guys and onward and upward. We're playing it for Europe. Yeah, it's definitely a strong message, uh, which is really good. Um, all right, perfect. So we will be back at some point towards the end of the week to talk about the United game, uh, for better or worse, um, and just have a good rest of your short week, everybody. Well, thanks all. Thanks for having me back. Good to be back where it started. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming on. (laughs) Be well.